You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Wednesday edition is here. Big show plan. Bobby Carpenter. We recap the college football season and look ahead to the dominance of Georgia. That's coming up in uh, about 20 minutes. We're going to get Mr. Big Ten Bobby Carpenter to just announce Uh, the domination of the SEC for all to hear. I think he will. Well. As he should. I mean, I... You heard my top four. Three SEC teams in that top four. I don't disagree now, with No, he's not going to disagree with I have Ohio State second, his alma mater, after their performance against Georgia. But tough, tough time for anyone that's uh, not Georgia right now. Uh, tough in Kentucky as well. Jack Pilgrim ooh, will join ooh, us from Kentucky Sports Radio to discuss the Wildcats who fell to South Carolina last night. Chad, you and I watched this. This was uh, not pretty. Yet again. Hutton, South Carolina is ranked 232nd in the net rankings. <laughs> After they won at Rupp Arena. Yeah. <laughs> they were worse than that before this game. Kentucky had a 28-game winning streak in Rupp, and they were a 19-point favorite at home in that game, and they lost. They were down 10 at halftime. They lose. They had a late three that would have tied it. 71-68, South Carolina wins it. I was shocked. Um, I thought this was going to be a get-right game for Kentucky, yeah. especially having watched it South Carolina lose at home by 43 to Tennessee over the weekend. I thought Kentucky was going to get their balance a little bit in the SEC. Instead, they're now 1-3 going on the road to play a top-five opponent in Tennessee and one of their rivals on Saturday. This is Circle the Wagons moment. This is, to me, you can't really say it's it in January for a team, but it feels like one of those last stands for Kentucky to go on the road and muster a performance and an effort that could get you a monster signature win on the road and get you back into some standing. I mean, just in SEC standings alone, I mean, it's early, but after this weekend's games, we'll be about a third of the way through. We'll definitely be over a quarter of the way through conference play. And you got Tennessee and Alabama who were undefeated. Kentucky at one and three. You can't afford to fall to one and four. You can't let these opportunities for huge marquee wins slip away. They don't have much right now. Their best win is neutral site in London against Michigan. That's not good enough. And that loss to South Carolina at home was a terrible one. Well, the typically Calipari's teams figure it out. You know, there there have been other instances of this for them. Slow starts, yep. and they figure it out by by the tournament, by the SEC tournament. This feels different, the makeup of this team. A bit different throughout conference play than kind of just sluggish winning games. It, like it, the South Carolina game in years past would have been a, a, a really bad performance, but they end up winning late against a really bad team. And this was the opposite. What, South Carolina got off with a 13-2 run to begin the game. It was 13-2 first time I checked the score. 13-2 South Carolina. Feels different. If you remember, Dan Dockich joined us yesterday and said that, and he talks to a lot of people around college basketball, 
said that what he's hearing is NIL issues. That there's some infighting over NIL money. And guys jealous or mad that someone else is making more money than someone. Now, we've heard about Oscar Shibway making a fortune yeah. to come back to Kentucky. Maybe that's part of it. But he's been disappointing. Severe Wheeler's been disappointing. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a free fall right now for Kentucky. I don't know if there's any other way to describe what's going on. Something is terribly off, but the good news, I guess, if you're going to look on the bright side, if you're a Wildcats fan, is you've got enough talent to turn things to around and start playing better and get in the tournament. Not if there's infighting, though. Yeah, I mean, but look, they were. A, it's a combination of everything because everyone that wants to point to John Calipari, I'm one of them, and say he's not getting it done right now. They lose as the number two seed a year ago to St. Peter's to end their season, right? Lost in the semifinal of the SEC tournament. They lose their next game out in the uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Now you combine that with coming back with some veteran pieces. This is not a completely new starting five like we've seen other years that Kentucky where John Calipari can very easily just say, hey, we're young and we're figuring things out. We're going to be great by March. Maybe they're going to get better as the season goes on and they're going to end up being a seven or eight seed in the tournament and they're going to go on a run from that spot instead of being a a better seed like they were a year ago and getting bounced in the first round. I just see major problems chemistry-wise, at times effort-wise, play smarts-wise, coaching-wise. There's big problems that fan base is seeing. Well, with Chris Beard out at Texas, the rumors are going to swirl for Calipari there if it's NIL because Texas will lean into that and Barnhart doesn't as an AD at, at Kentucky. So if, if, if that's really what's holding them back, and it can't be. Look at what they're paying their roster right now. Money's, well, money's not the issue. It's the, the allocation of funds and the, the guys bickering, according to reports. Yeah, based on what Dockich is telling us is it's more of not, not about a lack of money going to the players, but about how that money is going yeah. to players and players being upset about With it. what guys are getting. Or maybe players thinking that they got promised something they're not being given right now. I, I don't know what else is going on. There's an interesting situation at Florida that we're going to get into at some point. We're efforting a reporter to talk about that with a big-time quarterback where there's some reports that there may be issues in terms of what's promised and what's actually been delivered with NIL money. These are all things we brought up when this first started that were possible pitfalls with all well, of those for programs, uh, and if it's not executed properly... They're going to have to unionize. You're going to have, you're going to have issues with that. The players and, are eventually going to have to unionize. And that's the last thing college football wants right when that or happens, college so. athletics really yeah they don't they don't want that but also i mean i'm i'm watching kentucky if they're gonna be so bad that they're going to lose to teams like south carolina at home and if this continues and they don't turn around they're capable of turning around but if they don't do you really want to hire john calipari at texas coming off a, a season where they don't make the ncaa tournament with this group and oh by the way the last time they were in the tournament they got Beat by St. Well, Peter's, but there's a well. That's that's fair. Now there's a celebrity there, factor. There's, there's and an, there's a, a standard that comes with him. There's a thought also that while I don't think he's a great in-game coach, a lot of times, you know, he's a good psychologist that can recruit. So you feel like you he's, land John Calipari, you're going to get some big-time recruits. Yeah. to go to Texas. There's an NBA feel with him. He was able to do it at, at Memphis. He was able to get big-time talent at UMass before that. Mm-hmm. He's certainly been able to get NBA talent to Kentucky. But anyone's going to get NBA talent to Kentucky. I mean, that's one of the top two or three programs in the country. So that's not a hard sell. So I, I just 
I don't know that John Calipari's a big name. He's won a lot of games. I'm not knocking his celebrity. I'm just saying if you're Texas right now, you just had Chris Beard, who got your team top five in, in year two, who's a good younger coach. I'm not going for John Calipari. Go find a, another great coach that's either mid-major level or even at a Power 5 conference, you feel like you could lure them away from their current job. I don't have a list of names mentally off the top of my head right now that I would go approach, but I'm sure given 20 minutes I can come up with 10 names I'd rather have at Texas than John Calipari. Well, the fan base is starting to want to see him out the door. There was a fan last night escorted out for holding up a please go to Texas sign at Rupp Arena while losing to South Carolina. So they're, they're, they're frustrated but not winning at the, the clip that they want to win with. And Calipari, the standard by hiring him stays the same as it would with Chris Beard, right? Like that's the, that's the feel with it. And he's not meeting that at Kentucky. So I'm assuming this fan who, if you're watching, you can see him getting escorted out of the arena. I think it's just a blanket deal that you can't, have, sign. can't yeah. have signs there. But I, I love that he brought that sign. And he decided at some point, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to hold this sign up. Now's the time. Now's the moment. Now's the it time. Worked. It looked like a good time to do it, too. Because he was ready to go. It, it looked like a pretty sparse crowd <laughs> He'd for Rupp Arena. It looked like some people had already hit the exits. So that was the right time to bring out that sign. But that's the, that's the thought of the Kentucky fan base right now. John Calipari spends his postgame presser telling Kentucky fans, we have this great fan base here. I love Kentucky fans. They've been great to us. It's a big benefit, but blame me. Don't blame these kids. These kids right now, I'm sure some fans are mad at me, and I'm thinking all the fans are mad Everyone. at you. Everyone right now is mad at you. No one's defending John Calipari, and his point was these kids need you right now more than ever. They don't need you as much when they're winning every game, but at 1-3 and three in conference, now is when they need your support. And I don't think he's wrong with that, but, yeah, they're, they're blaming you, Coach. They're not blaming the kids. Don't worry about that. They, they know where the blame lies. Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio will bring more of this uh, in less than an hour. Um, great news with DeMar Hamlin. He's been released from the Buffalo General Medical Center uh, earlier today. He was admitted on Monday whenever he traveled back from Cincinnati to Buffalo. They had been monitoring him there, and now he's, he's headed home. I mean, he, this has been, within nine days, an amazing recovery from – the cardiac arrest on Monday Night Football to here we are the Wednesday following the, the game, right? And he's home. That's incredible in a life or death situation where we spent a week trying to figure out whether or not he was going to make it. And now uh, the story couldn't get better. So um, this is great news. And I, I keep anticipating now What's it going to look like when DeMar Hamlin gets that ovation when he's at the game on Sunday? Yeah, and... Because that's the next step. I don't, I don't think there's any way he's going to be the on the sideline. I think if he's there, it's going to be in some sort of suite. Right? right I, I don't yeah. know that, you know, given... They could come out of the field Also, are, are we ever going to get an explanation on exactly what happened? We had every doctor talking about um, commotio cordis yeah. the whole time, but no one said that. No doctor that treated him has, has stated that yet. I feel like at some point we need a further explanation about how a completely healthy 24-year-old football player had this happen to him. And we've talked about the most likely scenario with different cardiologists yeah, on the no show. confirmation. We did our due diligence and talked to doctors, but his doctors haven't said that. 
His team hasn't said that. I would like to know what happened. It's weird how that just kind of went away after that doctor's press conference. They didn't ever state exactly what it was. Maybe there's more um, care that needs to be done, research on the condition of his heart that needs to be done before they have an answer. I don't know. Again, not a doctor. But I do find it strange they haven't released that information. Um, I do think if he's at the game, he's probably going to be in a suite, and they'll show him on the Jumbotron and show him on the broadcast, and he'll get a big ovation. I don't think that you put him on a sideline where even someone could run out of bounds well, and make contact right, with him. But they could bring him out pregame, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would um, be cool. By the way, the line for Bills-Dolphins is bigger than the national championship game was on Monday. So the line was 13, right? For Georgia and TCU. 13 and a half, yeah. Oh, so it's right at it then. Bills-Dolphins, 13 and a half for the wild card weekend uh, opening round. For both. And Tua has been ruled out. He has not cleared concussion protocol. Uh, Mike McDaniel making that official today. So he's not playing. And they're going to go with Skylar Thompson in as a seven seed, getting into the postseason. And the job that Miami and McDaniel and Tua, that they had done to build up to this opportunity, they do get in the postseason after backsliding, after the, uh, the, con- the multiple concussions by Tua. And now they face a, a, a truly uphill climb after going toe-to-toe with Buffalo the last time they were there with Tua Tagovailoa, And now they go in with their third-string quarterback in Skylar Thompson and other injuries too. And it's a 13.5-point spread. Dolphins are hoping it's not the same outcome as that national championship game, that this is not a 65-7 game. Um, I hate it. Yeah. I hate that what could have been a good wild-card weekend right, playoff yeah. game is now Josh Allen versus Skylar Thompson. <laughs> that, that's what, I mean, if you want to go back to why are all of these tic-tac calls on quarterbacks happening and the, the anger that football fans feel when they watch football in the 70s and 80s and the way guys got hit and wasn't flagged and the way it's flagged now, it's for this reason. It's because the NFL and ultimately every football fan out there, you know what you don't want? Skylar Thompson on your television during an NFL playoff game. That's what the NFL doesn't want. They want the 32 best quarterbacks competing at all times because that drives ratings, that drives interest. I'm much less interested in this game because of Skylar Thompson. I'm going to watch it because it's the NFL playoffs. But I'm watching it a lot closer if Tua's playing in this game. But there's not 32 legitimate starting quarterbacks, right? That's that's not to say that you can prevent all quarterback injury by throwing a flag every time they get close to the quarterback. I'm just saying this is the impetus for what's going on. And a quarterback play in the playoffs is going to happen. Uh, it's going to drop, and it's going to happen because of the extra teams that are getting in from both conferences now. You know, six, seven instead of six. And so you're going to end up with, uh, in all likelihood, one of these spots where Vegas is predicting a blowout. And Vegas knows. The country knows. Bills are going to roll Miami at home with everything going on with the news on Hamlin and the fact that Tua is, is not available. Um, hit us up on social at Outkick360. Coming up, we dive into the college football discussion, the big headlines, and the dominance from the Georgia Bulldogs. That's next with Bobby Carpenter on Outkick360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, Chad, yesterday you said TCU would have been better off losing a close game to Michigan than playing in the national championship game and having that destruction take place to Georgia. Hunt, it goes fundamentally against every fiber in my being as a competitor who loves sports, who watches sports, um, to say that a team's better off losing right. than winning. But I think for the TCU brand, a thrilling loss to Michigan and invo- avoiding the worst, not just championship game loss, but worst bowl game loss in history as the final stamp on what was a great season for TCU, that would have been better, the loss to Michigan, than than suffering through that. We welcome in Bobby Carpenter, who joins us weekly on Outkick 360. Bobby, uh, your reaction to Chad's take on the 65-7 final? Yeah, that beatdown was rough, and... I mean, the good news is there was probably only like 5 million people watching by the third <laughs> quarter, if even less yeah. than that. I mean, it started yeah. out pretty good, and it slowly just slid away. I agree with that. I mean, it would have been better to probably lose a close game uh, than than suffer that type of destruction. I mean, it was the largest bull loss in history, which, you know, it's crazy. I think, honestly, if they play 10 times, you're going to probably get that result one or two. Maybe TCU wins one of them. And the majority of the games are probably somewhere within 10 to 21, maybe 24 points, probably a lot of those 14 to 24 point windows. But it is a program that had never been there before. You could tell they were playing on house money and you could see that thing just got away from them. And that's my biggest like worry for teams, especially when they come into games like that, who have never been there is to avoid the snowball. Cause early on, like you're going to make some mistakes and things are going to happen. You can't let that compound and just slowly just roll you over, which is what ultimately did. I thought when TCU scored, I'm like, okay, they'll settle in now, down a couple of scores, but you've had a little bit of offense. You've had some success. You're going to have to find a way to realize like it's going to be a tough path for you to win this game, but just try to limit the damage as much as you possibly can. And unfortunately, man, they that thing just got away from your throwing interceptions and I mean, when you've got all the starters pulling on both sides in the fourth quarter, like that, that's just a brutal game. Bobby Carpenter with us, college football analyst, host for SiriusXM Channel 84. Um, what's the what's the secret ingredient with Kirby Smart at Georgia that has allowed him to have as many national title wins as Nick Saban since he left as an assistant with Nick? Well, I think the secret to any great team and great program, it's it's going to start with great players. I and mean, Georgia had a ton of great players. And they were able to find a quarterback who got better throughout the course of his career, but functionally was pretty good. He didn't screw it up. Um, he He's a winner. I mean, he might not have the strongest arm. He might not be the biggest guy. He might not check all of these boxes. I mean, he played really well in big moments. And he's athletic. And he can buy time. And he's got a great rapport with his receivers. But if you, I mean, if you look around at all the guys they have, I mean, Georgia's loaded with talent. And so when you have lots of great players, you know, he's a good schematic coach and Munkin's a really good schematic offensive coach and he utilizes his personnel really well, which is one thing I don't think you can say for all 
head coach or all offensive coaches. You know, well, some guys have systems, and if they have two tight ends and they they just like to run eleven personnel, well, the one guy just probably isn't going to play that much. And Munkin looked at that. It's like, hey, we've got two really good tight ends. Yeah, we've we've beat up at wide receiver throughout the season. We can run the football pretty well. We've got an athletic quarterback. You know, we've got Lad McConkie can do some different things. Like, let's just do what these guys do really well. And it almost kind of reminded me of you know, kind of a New England Patriots style offense where, yeah, you know what? We might not be great at all these different things, but what we're good at, we're, we're pretty stinking good at, and we'll be able to have success and just stay within ourselves. So they've got good players. They play to their players' strengths, and, you know, they, they don't ever really get overwhelmed by the moment. And when you're going to have those characteristics, I guess you're going to be pretty hard to beat. So I'm torn on this, Bobby, and I'm, I'm curious about your opinion. Nick Saban being a full part of the set for ESPN throughout championship night as the one head coach that gets to promote his program, his brand, on the biggest night in college football with the biggest audience of the season, here's Nick Saban, Alabama's head coach. On one side, I say, you know, as if I'm working in television, it's ESPN. I want the most famous coach to be a part of it, and Nick Saban's very good on TV, so it makes sense for ESPN. As a competitor, though, I'm thinking, how do they get away with that when they have the rights to all these other schools and other conferences, yet it's the great Nick Saban is the only one who gets a six-hour promotional window for his program on ESPN in the biggest night of college football. Bobby, where do you fall on this? I think they even had him on Fox during the championship weekend, which, you know, the SEC has really no tie in with Fox. And so yeah. I understand Nick Saban's going to draw eyeballs. He's really good on TV. He comes across in his press conferences as a curmudgeon old guy now and snaps back a lot. But when you put him at the desk and let him analyze things, he's really good. Heck, the reason that probably half the people stuck through halftime was hearing what Nick Saban had to say about the game and how it was all, you know, squaring up and, and shaking out. So I understand, like you said, why ESPN does it. Nick understands that it's important for his brand and his promoting. Kirby's down there on the field. They're going to be showing him, I need to have FaceTime as well in front of recruits. People need to remember how great I am. So I get both of those things. And, and then I understand if you're a competitor of his. I mean, if you're Lane Kiffin, I mean, even Ryan Day, I mean, you're talking nationally. This is a nationally televised game with a lot of eyeballs on it. Yeah, you're going to be frustrated and probably upset with that. But you know what? I guess tell your SIDs, push you out there, make calls. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go beg, but the best thing to do is be available. And hey, well, I'll be down to the game. You know, you want to throw me on? Most of the, you know this, TV execs, like their job is to build a story. Their job is to get people to watch. And so if you're another coach and you're there. Yeah, I mean, you got to have to have to, you have to have some cachet. But I mean, heck, if I was Jim Harbaugh, I would have been down there being like, hey, this is how you attack TCU. This is what they did to us. This is what you can't have happen. You know, Ryan Day, you know, you'd love to see him there as well. Like, but get those guys have to understand, like, the more available you are, the more you'll be on TV. And in this era, like with recruiting and being public and being popular and having eyeballs on you, like that's only going to help. So I understand why his competitors would be mad. I'd be furious, but I mean, he's given himself this ability to be a draw and he really he wants to utilize it so i give him credit for that does your uh, perception your um evaluation of ohio state change based on the way tcu was handled and the way ohio state went toe-to-toe with georgia and what do you think about michigan now knowing that tcu beat them and then georgia handled tcu the way they did 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people looked at the Ohio State Georgia game, the Peach Bowl is kind of de facto national championship. There were a lot of people, you know, them and Bama, those three teams, people had said were the most talented teams all season long. And that's why you saw a game that was of that caliber and of that magnitude. So when they played Georgia toe to toe, it's like, okay, I mean, I, I kind of expected that whether it was going to be a win or a loss, I thought it would be inside of a score. And ultimately it was, you know, a, a single point that was the difference in that game. Uh, Michigan, it, maybe it changed a little bit. Uh, the fact that they got beat up really good last year. And last year, I don't think they were as good. They played a better team. They played TCU. And it seemed like, I don't want to say they were ill-prepared, but I don't know if they took TCU as seriously as they really needed to. You could see some of the the play calling early on. I mean, it was a little bit wonky and kind of crazy. They got away from kind of their core and what they were trying to do. And I, I think a lot of people looked at it and said TCU is probably the worst matchup for Georgia. That's I talked to Aaron Murray about this you know, on Selection Sunday. I mean, he's like, they wanted to play TCU. I think everybody kind of did. Um, in Michigan, you know, make no mistake about it. I mean, they threw multiple interceptions. They kept TCU in that game. And, and taking nothing away from the Horned Frogs and Max Duggan, like they went and they won it. They won the football game. But Michigan, they did some really good things, but then they made some really uncharacteristic mistakes and so if I'm them, like I'm kicking myself. Like I, I don't know if Michigan beats Georgia, but I know it's a better game than that. They with what they're able to do. Obviously, it would have helped having Blake Corum, but it's, it, I've, yeah, I, I don't know if it changed my opinion a ton. But I was just more disappointed in Michigan than after that game, thinking that they could not find a way to get it done because they were so sloppy on both sides of the ball. If Jim Harbaugh takes the Denver Broncos job or another NFL job. Is there an easy promotion on that staff where they can try to keep this thing rolling, a la Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame when Brian Kelly a left Michigan for LSU? Man. Yes, a you Michigan know, Mike man. Hart is the running back coach there. I mean, I played against Mike for a couple of years. He he was a guy that last year, if he would have left, they would have considered, I think, moving in uh, to that spot. You know, they've got a pretty young staff. Um, you know, as you, as you look around it, you got a young defensive coordinator, I think a lot of the other pieces would probably stay stay put. So I think that Mike would probably make the most logical sense. He is a Michigan man, much as Harbaugh is. And I don't know if he has eyes for the NFL the same way Harbaugh does. So he would be the guy, I assume he would slide in there, um, you know, if you're going to ultimately make a move. Would you rather hire Harbaugh or Sean Payton? Oh, uh, Sean Payton. Now, I know Jim Harbaugh has been to three NFC championships. He's been to a Super Bowl, but... Knowing Sean, like Sean is one of the the brilliant offensive minds you're going to find in the NFL, and he's proven that he's a good head coach too, and he's won a Super Bowl. You know, he's done what it took to get there. He's been willing to make big calls and big moments. Uh, you know, I think he need he obviously knows he needs a quarterback, and I don't know where you would find that situation right now, or you feel like you'd have that guy, uh, but. I definitely, if I could get my hands on Sean Payton, I knew I'd have him for five years, and we had some draft capital and cap, draft capital and cap space. I would go with Sean. So I'm going to give you one choice here, Bobby. Next year, every early preseason, way too early top ten that I've seen typically has three Big Ten teams in it: Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, somewhere around nine or ten on that list. Who is the most likely to be the fourth program in the Big Ten moving forward that's going to step into that spot as the next challenger maybe to a Penn State 
who's clearly three behind Ohio State and Michigan right now, who's going to make that jump up soon? I would like to think, because historically that program has been Wisconsin, and you know, they kind of lost their way a little bit there. But you know, I know Luke Fickle's a heck of a football coach. Now, can he do it in one year? I don't know if that roster is equipped to be able to get there. But I think over a two- to three-year period, he could fall into where he is competing with the schools at the top and maybe beating them uh, intermittently as well. The other school you kind of look at is Matt Rule at Iowa or at uh, Nebraska and what Matt could potentially be doing out there. You know, he, he's got to recruit well. I think he's got a pretty good staff. We'll see how he ultimately is able to perform on the field. But you look at all those one-score games they've lost over the last couple of years. If you can start flipping some of those, I think you've got a really good chance to be to be pretty good. And, you know, we talk about Matt Rule with the Panthers and the struggles. When you never have a quarterback, you're always going to struggle in the NFL. And in college, you can kind of coach around a little more, and it's much easier to get one of those guys because the requirements are so much less. Bobby Carpenter, our guest on OutKick 360. So take us inside the mind of the head coaches in college football that feel like they have a chance for a title, that watch that Georgia team that you know has Jalen Carter, who just declared for the NFL draft, no surprise, but all the sacks came from freshmen and sophomores who are going to be back. Brock Bowers is back. They will place their quarterback, but that's pretty much it, and they see that through the the college football playoff with the way they played, came back against Ohio State, then took care of TCU. What What's the outlook? What's the message from the head coach to their staffs? And namely, it's Alabama, Ohio State, and uh, Michigan. There's a, maybe a handful of other SEC programs, Tennessee, LSU. What's the message? I would say I'm glad you threw Tennessee and LSU in there because I think that they're they're pretty close. Um, especially go back and watch that Tennessee film. They had some opportunities against Georgia, just didn't capitalize. But I think the message is, number one, if you look at how Ohio State played them close, they did a pretty good job controlling that defensive line. You saw you can't let those guys live in your backfield. I don't care what team you are, how you play. You cannot have defensive linemen living in your backfield in the run game or pass game. And they did a pretty good job with that at Ohio State in that first one. So you've got to make sure you can control that. And then the other part I think you take away is, you know, You've got to be able to score on the perimeter. You've got to be able to push the football. You need to run it, and you need to be able to keep them honest. But to beat teams like that, I, I go back to when I was looking at Ohio State, how do you beat Georgia? What's the formula? Um, you're going to have to have some quarterback runs. Gonna have to, he's going to have to probably get you know four to five first downs. And you're going to have to have some explosive gains throughout drives. But you're probably only going to be able to put together maybe two drives of like eight to ten mm -hmm. plays to be able to go score in the red zone. The rest of them, you're going to have to be able to score from like 25 to 30 yards out. And because you, you just can't do it. Once you get down in there, the field gets compressed and they're too good up front. So you have to be able to have success on the outside. And that comes with recruiting high level receivers. And then the other piece of that is you got to have the right trigger guy. And that's a lot harder to find. You can go recruit six wide receivers and get three good ones who are really good players. But you could get bring in three quarterbacks and you may even have the right guy. You just don't end up choosing them because of age or whatever, performance and preseason, who knows? And so th that's a much harder position to be able to find because you have to be able to drop back, protect that guy, get some chunk yardage. He's got to be athletic enough to go steal you some plays with his legs. But that, I think, is like beating the, the Georgias, the Bama, some of these teams that are really stinking good. That's the only real way to get it done. 
when you saw that uh, Alex Grinch is coming back at USC as defensive coordinator, what, what was your reaction and just your reaction to the way that season ended for USC? I mean, playing Caleb Williams in a bowl game against Tulane and giving up a 15-point lead with under six minutes left. In an odd way, even though most of the questions were answered about Lincoln Riley going to USC, he had another Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback and they won a lot of games and scored a lot of points, it feels, Bobby, like some of those same questions about Lincoln Riley's teams have been amplified even more after the last two games. Yeah, I mean, can they stop anybody? And I, I, I'm not going to kill Alex Grinch this year because USC's defense was bad when he got there, and it wasn't like he took over a top-20 defense and made them bad. So they've got to get better. So I'll always give someone a year and then a spring ball at a camp to say, hey, have you made some sizable improvements? Have you made some jumps to be able to get it where it needs to go? And then also part of that loss, I mean, they gave up a stinking safety, you know, because of an ill-planned you know, kickoff return. I mean, it was kind of a, a, a collapse late game. So Lincoln Riley is going to have some questions to answer, especially when you lose to a team like Tulane, who everybody knows you have better players then. And it was evident for 58 minutes until you just ultimately kind of implode there down the stretch. So, yes, there's going to be some questions he's going to need to answer. And the, and here's the other thing, guys. The Pac-12, I mean, UCLA is going to be better. Washington has Michael Penix Jr. coming back. Utah isn't going anywhere. I mean, they're going to be a good program consistently year in and year out. I think Oregon State's a program on the rise. So, you know, I think the Pac-12 is situated pretty well to be able to make a push next year and rise the, raise the waters around USC, so they're going to have their hands full. Can I officially break the seal on uh, the NFL draft discussion with you today? <laughs> sure, why not? It's no time like the present, Hutton. What, who's a player comp for Stetson Bennett, and do you see him as an NFL player? Ooh, player comp for Stetson Bennett. I mean, you threw that. I'm trying to look now like six-foot quarterbacks you know, that run around like Fran Tarkenton. Are we going to go like all the way back there? I mean, he's <laughs> He's an athletic dude. He gets it done with his legs. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. And obviously, you know, Fran is much different than that. And it was a much different era in general. But, you know, it's really hard to find those guys that are a little bit undersized because not only is he not very tall, I mean, he's a thin guy. Yeah. Uh, like, he's not he's not a very broad dude. So I, I worry about him taking some shots. I think he could honestly be, you know, someone who you keep on your roster who's probably a, you know, a third, second, you know, a third team quarterback for a handful of years because he, he's smart. He can move. He can buy us some time. I've got to watch him make some more throws in the NFL when those windows are going to tighten down very quickly because a lot of the stuff he did is on the interior of the field and he's throwing the tight ends on crossers and stuff. You have to be able to stand up and bang that far, ha far hash out consistently if you want to have a, a home in the NFL. And I'd have to watch him do that. But I think he's someone that could probably, you know, hang around. Oh, goodness. Um, Brooks Bollinger, if you go way back, wow. I played with Brooks briefly from um, played at uh, Wisconsin, played in the NFL for about six, seven years. Not a very big dude, but athletic, accurate, had a pretty good arm. Now, granted, he came in the NFL like 22, so he may have a little shorter <laughs> lifespan when you're going to be 25, 26. But I would say that, gosh, I mean, you put me to that. The fact that I was able to come up with Brooks is pretty yeah, good, but I would say yeah, if someone me, made Let me give that. you one I said yesterday, Bobby, and I want to get your reaction and see if you agree. Um, and it took me a, a little time. I, I had to had to take more time than you had to think of one. Ryan Fitzpatrick. The thing is with Fitzy, Fitzy's a thick dude. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, when I saw Stetson at Media Day, 
I'm like, man, like you're, you're just not a very broad guy. And so when you're not very big, like you take some shots. I mean, I watch Colt McCoy, like we do XM when he pops in on Tuesdays. Like, I mean, Colt's not a huge dude and I'm watching him take those shots. He's like, it hurts and it, it you're going to get snapped in half. And that's why you see some of these guys who aren't very big frame get hurt. So I think there probably is some of that fits, fits magic in there. Um, you know, Fitz, honestly, he went, he did it the hard way and he had to prove himself. He also had a little bit more size and I don't know if Fitz has a stronger arm or not. I got to watch. It's tough to watch guys throw in college and then project that, uh, to the NFL, just due to the fact that those windows, man, you watch them close down so fast that it's, you gotta have a lot of arm strength to be able to play. He's listed at one ninety. He's not one ninety. no. Might be 185 after after Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not on championship night for sure. Uh, Bobby, appreciate you, man. Uh, always uh, enjoy the conversation. Have a great week, and uh, let's continue it next Wednesday. Yes, sir. You guys enjoy it, gentlemen. There's uh, Bobby Carpenter. Follow Thanks, him Bobby. on social at bcarp3. Uh, always great catching up with him. Check him out on SiriusXM Channel 84. Chad, when we come back, it is time for primary complaint. We air our top grievance of the week each week at this time. I've got a generational divide primary complaint. Regarding your cell phone? Regarding, no, the, the, gener, the generation between when this cell phone was put out and then the cell phones of today. <laughs> no, generation between uh, myself and my parents. Oh. A generational divide. And a, and a specific issue with the generations that I'm, I'm going to get into. We will witness a family split apart when we return on yep. Outkick 360. Yes. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, we are locked and loaded. We are ready to go. Is there a day, Hutton, that we're not locked and loaded? The answer that's is a, yes. That's a good point. <laughs> the answer is yes. You no. know, everybody's got a bad we, yeah, day. But you know what? Today's not We want not to come day. into every single show. We do a lot of shows over the course of a year. We want to come into everyone locked and loaded, but... <laughs> If we're being completely honest with ourselves, there are days where we think we are, but maybe we're not. Today, though, is not that day. We're locked and loaded and ready to go on primary complaint today, right it, now. It is time. It's all about the For now. primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. My primary complaint this week is, you know, there are a lot of problems uh, with uh, this city as well as probably yours. But the amount of dog crap on sidewalks right now is at an all-time high. Um, The ability for people to allow their pet to take a crap and then just leave it in the middle of a walkway is very concerning. And not even having the decency to clean it up, but I think this is a reflection of you if you're doing this. If you're the person walking through and your dog decides to stop and, you know, take care of some business and you just keep on going, 
my assumption for you is you're fat, lazy, and chances are a complete slob at your own home. I think it is a direct reflection of that person in general not having the common decency to clean up while the next person is walking through on a public walkway. That's my primary complaint. And based on the part of town you're in, I wouldn't be so sure that that's dog crap that you're approaching. Could, could be human. Uh, my primary complaint this week is, I've seen it a lot downtown Nashville. My primary complaint involves a generational divide. Love my parents to death. I went to their house. I helped them put in the HDMI cord for the Amazon Fire Stick so they could get their streamers going again and they could enjoy their entertainment. I had no problem doing that. Technology is one thing. Here's the thing, though, that I'm talking about. It is trying to explain modern television that you have to follow week to week a storyline to a, a set of parents that have become so accustomed to the CBS procedural drama of the week where you can just watch an episode, throw it away, watch the next one, totally new story, and not understand plot building over the course of a season. The example is we're, all of us are watching 1923 on Paramount+. Plus. And my mom keeps asking, why are they showing this Native American woman in this one plot line? And I'm thinking, there's going to be a reason for it, I, I promise. And she does not understand that there could be a plot building that's going to connect different points of a story at some point and know that it's going to pay off and that that's how people write episodic television today that leads to a big ending and you have to follow the story throughout. It's like we're speaking two different languages when I talk plots of shows and what could happen and what might happen. Totally different generation. I'm happy to be watching television in this generation where you can get more into some of these shows. But regardless, they have no clue what's going on. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Still love you. That's my primary complaint. Chad, I might be out of line, but I think foreshadowing has been a thing for like a couple centuries now. Yeah, uh, I feel like it should have been a thing for a while. but uh, Debbie's going to be pissed. Yeah, and, and I, I'll explain later why one reason why she might be a little bit confused because she's not watching a key show also that she should know about. But anyways, okay. Davey, please, your primary complaint. Certainly. So my primary complaint revolves around TikTok. I am not currently on TikTok. I don't know about you gentlemen. Uh, I, I've held off on uh, giving... I'm old, so no. Yeah, I've, I've held off on giving all my uh, information to the Chinese Communist Party, so I, I can at least <laughs> do that for the moment. My, my big thing right now is... I. I have seen some TikToks make it over to Instagram Reels where nurses have posted a like dramatic video of something that has gone wrong to where they have lost a patient or a patient is going through something bad. And it's like, I mean, they're making this all about them as they have lost a patient. I hope nothing good happens to these people. I like when it comes to the future of America, the biggest threat is not Russia or China or some other country out there it is like these people and the amount of impact that they might actually have on the younger generation and I, i'm scared like i'm generally scared this is awful and i understand like in this city i could literally step outside the sixth and peabody studios do a complete circle throw a rock and i'm going to hit a nurse but i we're getting to the point this is this is rough so your your contention is they are you don't like the fact that they're upset and traumatized over losing a patient, right? No, I don't like the fact they're posting about it on social media. Okay. And like, I, I get it. Like, it, it, it's a hard job. It's something that is not easy for many people to handle. But the first thing you do is grab your phone and record a video to then put out to your users it, it about this. 
It cheapens it a little bit, right? I mean, like I know what you're saying. And what if what if that was your family member that had died, and the first thing the nurse does is like, "Hey, well, I'm gonna." Whenever I pass away, not many people are gonna care, but I hope the person caring for me I'll is care. traumatized on the on my passing. At least people I'll are starting also, to get I'll fired. I'll also be there in the room when it happens with Hutton. I'll, I'll, I will care. Chad, assuming he outlives me, which is probably uh, right. Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe not. <laughs> but if if the nurse turned the moment Hutton dies and then just immediately went live on TikTok and started crying about the patient that died or walked out of the room and did that. I'm with Davey. That that would be weird. Also, you're just making it about yourself. So you think they have a ring light at the hospital? They just go into the next room and like react? Hold on. Let light. me turn up some tears. I got to go on TikTok here and get this thing out. Live yeah, reaction. I did see a story out of Memphis where a couple of nurses did go on TikTok to mock a gunshot wound patient. They wow. got fired for that. And that was like like two weeks ago. I mean, when you give an idiot the social media platform, th- these things are going to happen. You know, there, there are dumb nurses out there. I, I love the healthcare community and nurses that, that care for us. Don't get me wrong. But there's dumb everyone in every walk of life. There are dumb doctors. There are dumb lawyers. There are a lot of dumb politicians. There's dumb nurses. And when those dumb nurses get a hold of TikTok or some other social media platform, they're going to do dumb things. It's what happens. Fair enough. I mean, uh, are they attractive? Like, is that why they're doing this? And that's why Davey's watching. He's just yep. scrolling through. He hates them, but he can't stop. Davey's also going to start nursesonly.com <laughs> pretty soon. For all the only healthcare workers, welcome. Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio is next to discuss the disaster of a Wildcats basketball season.